And now, it's time to sit back and enjoy the Two True Freaks Internet Radio Broadcast. Hope and Chris finish the last episode of Star Wars The Clone Wars. Luckily, dependable Dave Filoni and crew create Rebels with new characters, new places, and new adventures. Thus, keeping hope alive for this podcast. Welcome to J-Guys and Jedi. Hi everyone, welcome to a brand new episode of J-Guys and Jedi, a weekly podcast covering every episode of Star Wars Rebels. In this episode, Sabine leads a mission to free her father from the Empire, but finds that a past mistake has been resurrected with deadly consequences. There will be more Meet the Parents! Ezra can't fly a jetpack, and the Darksaber finally finds a new home in Soul the Mandalorian. We're talking about Heroes of Mandalore this week. How you doing, Chris? Good. Listeners, I will let you know that the day we're recording this is May 4th, so we're still both just like, oh my god, Clone Wars finale! So happy belated May the 4th, everybody. <laughs> well, that's what it is today. Yeah. It's, happy May the uh, 4th, Chris, even though this is coming day. out two weeks later. It's for me every day. Yeah, pretty much. I just live in Star Wars, so. I'm wearing a Star Trek t-shirt right now. <laughs> <laughs> I was wearing my um, Twilight of the Apprentice Ahsoka shirt earlier, but we haven't turned on our AC yet, and it's 80 degrees in my room, so I definitely changed to a tank top because I was just sweating. I'm wearing my Starfleet Academy t-shirt today. (laughs) I didn't even think about it. (laughs) I mean, the odds are, of all my t-shirts, the greatest odds are if I pick a t-shirt at random, it's going to be either, like, the logo from my work or Star Wars, so... But not today. (laughs) (laughs) Hilarious. Not May the 4th. So before we get into Legacy of Mandalore, I just wanted to point out a bit of plot that happens between season three and season four. Back when we were doing our Between Clone Wars and Rebels episode and I was filling in the canon, um, there's a book called Thrawn Alliances and half the plot takes place during the Clone Wars timeline and the other part takes place between season four, three and season four of Rebels. So I just kind of like, just so you guys know what kind of plot is happening and what's happened since season three, I just really, really, really wanted to quickly run through that. So here's the Imperial side of Thrawn alliances. So after the Battle of Adelon, Palpatine's like, what the fuck, Thrawn? How did those teenagers get away from you? And Thrawn is like, I don't know, man. There's a Bendu. And both Palpatine and Vader are like, what the fuck is a Bendu? You're making that up. And Thrawn's like, I totally am not making up a Bendu. I don't know if I actually could be that creative. And so Palpatine's like, whatever. You know what? I don't really trust you because you're from the Unknown Regions and I want to test your trust. And you, Vader, I'm always testing you because that's just kind of like our thing. So you two have to team up in a mission together because I sense a disturbance in the Force. And Vader and Thrawn are like, what? Team up? Ugh. And then it goes into fan fiction world, which is the best. <laughs> so pretty much they have to go on this journey because Palpatine senses this big disturbance in the Force and they doesn't he doesn't know what it is. And on this... You meet Commander Keeman, who is my favorite commander, who it just gets on the Chimera, and he Keeman does the 
uh, the commander of the First Legion under Vader. And the whole time, Keeman's like, look at all these Chimera guys. They're actually happy at work. What the fuck? They like their jobs? What the fuck? And the whole time, Commander uh, Commodore Pharaoh is like, dude, yeah, we like our jobs. Maybe if you actually got treated correctly, you would like your job, too. And then we get uh, 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 Thrawn's Nogri, Rook, who we'll see later in the season, comes up and Rook's all like, hey, I'm going to creep around in your ship. And Keeman's like, I will shoot you. Anyway, what happens is there's a big thing with Batu, which is where the theme park Galaxy's Edge is based on. And all the shit happens around Batu. And they also go to this planet called Mokajiv, which has been destroyed, which which is what happens in the Clone Wars side of the story, because Anakin accidentally blows up half a fucking planet. And both both Thrawn and Vader are just like, hey, remember when you blew up that side of the planet? And Thrawn and Vader's just like, we're here. And Thrawn, the whole book is just like, okay, Anakin, I know it's you. And Vader's like, I don't trust you, bitch. So what? So the whole story is pretty much uh, Thrawn doing all these questionable things, and Vader's just like, "I don't trust you, bitch." And Thrawn's like, "You should trust me." And it turns out there are these people called the Grisk. The Grisk come from the unknown regions, and they are a adversary of the Chiss. And the Grisk have been slowly invading the outer rims of the Empire. And Thrawn's just like, "Look, Vader, these Grisks are bad guys. They're gonna keep coming into the Empire." So, yes, while this will help my people to help put a stop to this, this is going to help the Empire, too. And Vader's like, fine, let's team up and we'll fight these Grisk guys. But during all this, they come across the Disturbance in the Force. The Disturbance in the Force are little Chiss girls who are Force-sensitive. Now, when it comes to Force-sensitive Chiss, they're almost entirely girls, and it's something that they grow out of. So, eventually, they lose their Force abilities. Well... Because the the Chiss don't have navigation systems, they use the Force-sensitive girls to navigate their ships, which is why it's so important that the Gris take these girls away from the Chiss, because if the Chiss can't go after the Gris because they don't have the girls, they can't fight the Gris, and the Gris are like, ha-ha, fuck you. So they save all the girls, and the whole time Vader's like, cool, you can fly a ship with a Force? And Thrawn's like, yeah, you want to try? And Vader's like, sure, bro. So he gets in a ship. And he uses the force to fly it. He's just like, woohoo, I'm Anakin Skywalker. I mean, I'm not. I'm Darth Vader. Shut up, Thrawn. And so they save the girls. They stop the Grisks. And they come back. And Vader's like, dude, I got to fly one of your TIE Defenders. That was really cool. And Thrawn's like, thanks, Anakin. I mean, bro. And Vader's just like, stop it. And that's pretty much the summary of Thrawn Alliances. Between Season 3 and Season 4, and Vader gives his seal of approval to the TIE Defender projects. Thrawn's all like, Thanks for that, but the whole time it ends with Vader just being like, you're here because you're helping your people, and you're not 100% loyal to the Empire. And Thrawn's like, yeah, I am still loyal to my people. Why wouldn't I be? And Vader's like, well, I guess Palpatine knows that. And And Thrawn's like, yeah, Palpatine does know that. So we're done. And Vader's like, cool. And then that's the end of the book. So that's what happens between season three and season four of Rebels. It's a fan fiction. <laughs> I don't think Timothy Zahn set out to write a comedy. Thrawn Alliances is probably the funniest fucking Star Wars book I've ever read. It's just a comedy of errors because the Clone Wars part is fucking 
Anakin and Thrawn just alpha manning each other. They're both alpha males and they're just trying to out, out alpha male each other while Padme gets sh shit done. And then the Imperial side is Thrawn just trolling Vader for 150 pages because he knows it's Anakin. And Vader's just like system rebooting constantly because he's trying to like not do this. <laughs> so I love this book. It's so funny. I love Commander Keeman and Car Karen Farrow and Rook. So yeah. <sighs> that was fun. All right. We all follow along? Pretty sure. much. Yeah. yeah. You don't need to know any of that, though. <laughs> not for this but episode, we, I don't think. Huh? Not for, not for this episode, but we did say we would keep everybody up, up to date on the canon in between. There's one more book that happens halfway through Rebels that we'll have to touch on, too. But we did say we were covering all the canon, and we got to cover it, so... And I will say as we get into this episode, guys, uh, yeah, there will be spoilers for season seven of Clone Wars. My notes could not avoid it because there are just mo so many of my notes was talking about it. And there's so many. Yeah, connections. It's, it's so weird that the, the watching these two episodes, like I watched these two episodes right after I watched the last two episodes of season seven back to back. So it's just like, oh, shit, this is lining right up in our watching order you know absolutely it's not so, even well clone wars isn't even in our watching orders so it's just it's just jibing perfectly with where we are in in rebels like yeah. ridiculously <laughs> so if you haven't seen clone wars season seven this is your spoiler warning now because there's just really no way to avoid it yeah no they're pretty intertwined well i guess we could avoid it but then i would have like no notes for several acts <laughs> All right. You ready to get into this? I'm ready. Me too. All right. <clears throat> Heroes of Mandalore is the 60th and 61st episode of Star Wars Rebels, and it was released on October 16th, 2017, but I definitely wrote 3017. In the year 3017. <laughs> it was written by Henry Gilroy, Stephen Melching, and Christopher Yost. And it was directed by Stuart Lee and Saul Ruiz. Some extra information for you. I'm so happy that this is the only time I'm going to have to say this because I have so much difficulty saying L sounds and W sounds together. Alric Wren. It's done. Alric is voiced by Kerry Hiroyuki Tagawa. His other works include games and movies for Mortal Kombat, 47 Ronin, and Tim Burton's Planet of the Apes. Katie Sackoff reprises her, her role as Bo-Katan Kreese from Clone Wars, which is also what we've been watching, where she reprised her role again for Season 7. Captain Hark is voiced by Andrew Cascino. His other works include being Saul Guerrero in Clone Wars, Ninja Turtles, and The Lion Guard. Tiber Saxon is voiced by to uh, Tobias Menzies. I hope it's Menzies. Or Menzies. Menzies? That's how English works. Uh, his other works include Rome, Outlander, and Game of Thrones. And I, in an ironic and funny side note, Menzies is the third actor from the show Rome to play a Mandalorian leader of some kind. The McKid, who was Finn Rao, and Ray Stevenson, who was Scar Saxon. It's only, it's like only actors from the show Rome can be played by these characters. Did I say he, did I say that he plays Tiber Saxon? I don't remember. He plays Tiber Saxon. I don't remember what I just read like 30 seconds ago. 
The chase to say Alric Wren was inspired by the truck chase in Indiana Jones and the Raiders of the Lost Ark. I knew it. I knew it. There goes ah! one of my notes. There goes one of my notes. I knew it. I knew it. I called and it. Tank, and the tank chase is from Indiana Jones and the Last Crusade. It's a I mix always, of both of them, yeah. I always do that to you, Chris. <sighs> Sabine's weapon, the Duchess, is a reference to Duchess Satine Craze from Clone Wars. An early draft of this episode had Sabine killing her Mandalorian... Oh, sorry. No, no, no. Killing and knighting are two different things. An early draft of this episode had Sabine knighting her Mandalorian soldiers with a darksaber, leaving scorch marks on their armor. This is also the first time on screen the Medal of Mandalorian armor is referred to as Beskar. The term was created by Karen Travis in the the Legends Republic Commando novels. Sabine created a weapon that the Empire uses. I can't read. My brain is so tired. Sabine creating a weapon that the Empire uses is an idea that goes back to her original character conception before the show was ever, ever aired. It was part of her bio in the character story Bible for the show. And finally, for Rebels Recon in this episode, they talk about how Sabine is immersed back into her culture again and reignites that love for her home. She gets her love of art from her father, and that's his side of her. They wanted to flip the roles where Sabine's mother was the hard-on-her warrior type, while her father was gentle was the gentle nurturing type. As they discussed Sabine's weapon, they talked about her time in the Empire. She's a very competitive person, which led her to make some bad choices to get to the top of her class. She took on the challenge of making the Duchess and was horrified once she succeeded at it after it was used on her own people. Sabine's entire arc, starting with season three to now, is about her trying to right her wrongs from her imperial past. They also talked about Bo-Katan and how they always planned from the beginning to bring her back into Rebels at some point. She fit the story that they were telling in Rebels, and it matched her rising trajectory that was left at the end of Clone Wars that we're seeing now in season seven. They also felt like she was the most worthy character they had created to wield the Darksaber instead of getting it, giving it to a brand new character. You know who also has rising trajectories? Oh! <laughs> Yoda! How are you, hun? For the sky, aim. <laughs> a nice, nice rise. And then if it's still risen after six hours, you should see a doctor. Rise of Skywalker, yes. <laughs> Yoda saw that. <laughs> How you doing, tripod? Uh, not bad. I haven't called you tripod in forever. <laughs> it's been a hot minute. Wait, yeah. wait. Yoda put his mask on. There you go. Oh, yeah, thank you for social distancing from us. <laughs> you need it. All right, Yoda, I got a question for you. That for Yoda. I do, I do. You ready? Mm. Yoda, you're really old. Did you ever get a chance to wield the Darksaber while I was still with the Jedi? Oh, yes, yes. Darksaber was Yoda's favorite lightsaber for playing fruit Jedi. Mm. <laughs> Throw fruit in the air. Slice, slice. Did you... I don't... I should have asked a more interesting question. (laughs) (laughs) Wow. The answer was yes. That's Mm. it. Mm, Yes. Yoda handled it many times. Mm. (laughs) 
Yoda handled all the lightsabers. Mm. <laughs> and did you let anyone else touch your dark saber? Many have touched the dark saber. Mm. Did they touch your dark saber? <sighs> mm, Yoda's thirsty. Did they touch your dark saber? <laughs> Talk to Yoda's lawyer. Mm. <laughs> All right, Yoda. I asked a really boring question this week. Yeah. Well, I'll just. I'll let you go. I thought I would be like, yeah, but sometimes they can't. Mm, thought Yoda would make penis jokes. You did. I did. I did. That is kind of your rant. So dirty. Mm. I mean, right, there it goes. To, I don't know what. Yeah, I don't know why he's feeling self righteous. Points to the previous two hundred and eighteen episodes about making yeah. penis jokes. Exactly. Yeah, and he gets huffy about this. I don't know. <laughs> Maybe it was too much of a softball for him. I don't know. You never know with that guy. He's moody. And honestly, sometimes you just don't ask good questions, and I didn't this week. I don't know if he's that bright either, really, to tell you the truth. You know, he's just old. You know, go easy on him. He's an old man. A little bit bit, uh, foggy, you think? Yeah. (laughs) All right. You ready to get into this? I am. All right. Act one. Act uno. You threw me off for a second because I was not expecting Uno. Uno! <laughs> we open on Mandalore where Ezra and Kanan are teamed up with Sabine, some Clan Rin Mandos, and Uncle Rao! They're outside of saying that they're pretty sure that Sabine's dad is in there. They're, they all sing up their watches to kick-ass Mando time. Ezra is nervous about using a jetpack, though he's... Uh. Uh, excuse me. Ezra is nervous about using a jetpack, even though he was actually bitching about not having a jetpack last episode. Sabine climbs out of the trenches, lights up the Darksaber, and shouts a call to battle. And Sabine's mandos charge the prison's front door while Kane and Uncle Rowd come in from the side. And the evil mandos fly up into the air with stormtroopers. Everyone is cool. Everyone is cool Kanan is jumping. (laughs) What? I literally wrote, everyone is cool. Kanan is jumping from Mando to Mando. I'm cool with that. (laughs) Okay. I think I was trying to write that Kanan is being cool as he's taking out Mandos. Anyway, and Ezra is flailing in the air because he has no idea how to use jetpacks. This is why I don't write podcast outlines very late at night. During all of this, a trooper calls into Tiber Saxon, who was expecting Sabine to attack. He is the brother of Ball Saxon, who died. He's sending reinforcements to make sure that Sabine is captured. Everyone else can be killed. A dropship comes in and releases some little walkers to join the fight. The walkers are doing some damage to Sabine's forces, and one knocks her out of the air. She gets stunned, and the stormtroopers tell everybody else to stand down. Just as Ezra is getting ready to surrender, one of the walkers gets blown up, and some new Mandos join to fight. Mandos everywhere! It's Bo-Katan and her people. The battle is back on and the fight turns towards our heroes. Sabine is back up now and they go storm the prison. With the Imperials running, they find out fast that the outpost is empty and Sabine's father isn't there. On top of the tower, Bo-Katan lands with her men and lets them know that this was all a trap the entire time. 
Sabine's mom couldn't get through to them, so she sent Bo-Katan ahead. Sabine is like, wow, Bo-Katan, you're so awesome, but I have no idea who you are, which is why she would not have said Bo-Katan. And Bo takes off her helmet, and Uncle Rao gives an update for anyone who hasn't actually watched Clone Wars. Bo-Katan was Duchess Satine's sister and was made regent by the Jedi at the end of Season 7. Many Mandos still see her as the rightful ruler of Mandalore, but the Empire was like, hey you, follow our rules. And Bo-Katan was like, hell no, bitches. And then Ball Saxon was like, haha, I'm a traitor and I kicked you out, I guess. And Bo-Katan was like, oh no, and doesn't lead Mandalore anymore. Sabine is honored to meet someone so great, even though apparently her mom, who fought with Bo-Katan in the Clone Wars, didn't mention her at all to her daughter. She tries to give Bo-Katan the Darksaber, but Bo refuses it. Pretty bummed that none of this worked out. Sabine hangs back from the group, and Ezra tries to comfort her. Sabine ex explains that Mandalore's... No, no, no. Sabine explains that Mandalore has never been... Has never been a... Oh, oh, oh. Mandalore has been dead and not a green thriving place in her lifetime because of continuous war. Ezra thinks that she can help change that. Samindas so fly in and it's Sabine's family! Mama Bear Wren's that they, that they moved Papa Bear Wren back to the capital to be publicly executed. Bum bum bum! What'd you think of Act 1? Not bad. I guess Ezra is a jet eye now. Get out. <laughs> I have a new name too. Huh. Tiber. Oh please, I was hoping you would, because I was like, we'll just call him Nut Saxon. He's Nut Saxon, because he's a nut. <laughs> Get it? Mm, not your best, but he's only no. in one episode, so I'll allow it. <laughs> I mean, there's only so many scrotum jokes I've got up my sleeve. I, I my sleeve only to... holds so many scrotums. Yeah, I was trying to think of something like like tie me up Saxon or like or like. I, I I first wrote titty Saxon, but I was like, no, it has to be a dick joke, not a titty joke, and I don't know. I tried. I I did play with like four or five different names. There's not too many sack things to work with with sack that aren't hanging underneath between someone's legs. You know what I mean? There's I thought of sack races and stuff like that, and it's like yeah. But he is kind of Aryan, so he could be like Sack Master Racing or something. But it's too complicated, so I just went Nut Saxon because he's he's his brother, star. right? Yeah. Yeah. So it's ball and nut. The source.com synonyms for penis. The well, it's more of synonym for for uh, testicles. Tie prick Saxon, tie beater. Tie member, tie member, tie pecker, tie fat. We are spending way too much time. On yeah, that's not Saxon. He's only in one episode. I'll allow yeah. it. Yeah, well, people still say nut sack, so nut Saxon, and it's sort of a joke. Enough of a shorthand, so to speak. Tail Saxon. How does that? But it's closer. I'm sorry. Now I, I'm now I'm looking up synonyms for dick. <laughs> No, you're barking up the wrong tree, Hope. I know, because it's giving me, like, private detective dicks, not, like, the penis dick. Yeah, anyway. don't look for the... Yeah, yeah. Okay, never mind. My only other note is uh, I really like the look of the stork legs on the the one the the one ship that landed and had the real scrawny stork legs. Mm -hmm. That was pretty cool. 
I thought that was a that was something un, unusual visually in Star Wars. I liked it. It was a new new addition to the visual vocabulary. Are you talking about the the walkers? No. They they put down they they put down a ship or it was like a lander sort of thing that came down and it had two scrawny legs that that came down. It was down. putting down the walkers. Then I, think it dro- I think that was the ship that was dropping the walkers. Uh, like, immediately, like, you see the you see the ATSTs, like, immediate. you see that ship come down and it just looks sort of like a, a boxcar or something. You know, it's very boxy and rectangular. And then these scrawny little legs come out of it and it's just sort of standing on these scrawny legs and then the next shot is all the ATSTs so I was sort of assuming it was the the thing that drops down ATSTs or whatever yeah its legs were the ATSTs oh (laughs) never mind it's still cool well yeah well it, it still was cool but it wasn't what I thought it was Oh, there, there goes another note out the window. I take it back. I take it back. I lied. I'm a liar, Chris. <laughs> Whatever. I, I, I'm a, a yellow. I, I'm a, I'm a, I'm a red-faced liar, and well, I um, can't prove to me that you're lying now. That's true. There's you evidence can't see. in the episode. You can't see. I, I'm a bad liar because I always just start smiling <laughs> like a loon. It's, it's good that you can't see my face because I'm just smiling right yeah, now. Luckily, we're not using webcams, so I'm, I'm in the dark on that. <laughs> yeah, that's all I got. That's all I got for, for part one. Um. Yeah. Um. I don't have a lot of notes either. You know, there's these two episodes are so action oriented. There's very little like meat. <laughs> Yeah, there's there 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 is a there the, like the, the the media stuff is uh like Clone Wars and Mandalorian. <laughs> yes, exactly, exactly. The stuff that this uh that this um resonates with. It's funny because it's resonating with sort of in the future or, or in the present right now with Clone War the last Clone Wars coming up, but in the past also with past Clone Wars and in the future of the Mandalorian. So it's, yeah, it's hitting all of them, but, but in, in among, in amongst itself, the, the, this is basically this, I'll, I'll go into it further, but this is almost like sort of the same two episodes in a row in, in some way in like structurally sort of in the way they play out action wise. Yeah. So there, there are a lot of, there, there, there are a lot of action. There are a lot of things happening all right well as for my notes uh wait i'm in the wrong i'm in the wrong scene i was counting how many actual like cold wars mandalorian jokes uh notes i had <laughs> anyway here we go for my first note um there's a moment where maul maul rao and kanan are fighting together and kanan does his normal jedi parkour and rao calls him a show-off and i really liked that scene i don't know why it stuck out to me because I think it's so much that, like, Rao and Kanan's relationship has developed so far since their first meeting. And their first meeting was in Kanan the Last Padawan, where Rao saved his life when he was a Padawan. But then, like, in the show, their first meeting to face-to-face was in Season 2, where Kanan sat down with him. He was like, I was at the Battle of Megiddo with you, and you saved my life, so I wanted to sit down and thank you. And Rao was like, 
cool, I'm still gonna fucking kill you because you're a Jedi and you invaded my camp. And their their bond has really grown. And it reminds me a lot of Kanan and Rex, how they kind of started and they were butting heads and they didn't really like each other. But they both have so much in common. They're both Clone Wars veterans. They've been on opposite sides of the Mando versus Jedi. But they've really overcome so much. And I really, really like Rao and Kanan's relationship and how it's developed over the course of the and, series. And I think in a lot of ways, Rao and and um, and Rex are are very similar in background. Because Mandalor- Mandalorians and clones are basically... Especially a Mandalorian, like I mean, there's Mandalorians, obviously, like, um, like, um, um, her father, that are like artsy fartsy types, but for the most part, Mandalorians are like born and bred warriors, and so and are clones. And clones are from and, Jango Fett. And they're, and they're right, right, yeah, that's true. And they're and uh, and they're uh, you know they've they've had similar lives of of war you know that have brought them to that point yeah. and they must have similar philosophies if they're aligned with the same people so yeah it makes sense that they that they're bonded now you know Rao is a bonded member of the team yeah and i know it's disputed whether or not Django and Boba are mandalorians i i i i think dinjarin proves that you don't have to be on, born on mandalore to be a mandalorian so well, I think I think the I think the rule of thumb was that they weren't Mando. I think George Lucas has said that they weren't Mandalorians, but I'm I'm guessing that like basically, you know, if you were a bounty hunter or just sort of like whatever it was that Jango Fett did, you know, getting a hold of a Mandalorian, uh, uh some Mandalorian armor and jetpack would be a like getting you know. A solid gold Corvette, you know. So that's that's probably how that that started. Or I don't know. Maybe they were some. Maybe they were people who like had a beef with the Mandalorians, and that was another thing. Is you like went and claimed the armor of your dead Mandalorian foe or something. Hmm. Anyway, I don't know if Lucas explained it beyond he wasn't wasn't supposed to be a Mandalorian or not, but he don't own it anymore anyway. So. <laughs> they can do whatever they want. He can't say nothing. Mickey Mouse says now. <laughs> Go, Bob Iger. <laughs> oh anyway. God, no! I want Mickey Mouse to decide, not Bob Iger. <laughs> Woohoo! You're a Mandalorian. Yeah. You are not a Mandalorian. Get out of my office. I do, I do. <laughs> anyway, Goofy, dress the man <laughs> yeah. up for him. Mickey Mouse would be like, "What is the law? Tell <laughs> me the law." This is the way. Yeah, what is the way? If you're such a Mandalorian, what's what's the freaking way? Money is the way now, bitches. <laughs> <laughs> Better melt that Beskar into some gold, buddy. Isn't that right, Baby Yoda? Baby Yoda, <laughs> keep making more merch of yourself. Baby Yoda poops money. That's why we keep him around. What are you doing? <laughs> okay. <laughs> Anyway. <laughs> no more Mickey voice, man. It hurts my throat to do that. I've never tried to do a Mickey voice before, and it hurts. Really? You've never done a Mickey voice before? Never. <laughs> and now I know there. why. I think it's my voice, my Mickey voice is closer to the Mr. Bill, Bill voice, but. Oh, no, Mr. Bill. Oh, no. Anyway, anyway, Clone Wars notes. 
So my first time, like my first note about how Clone Wars adds so much to this episode, we know from the Siege of Mandalore that Ursa is part of Bo-Katan's group in Siege of Mandalore. We actually see Ursa without her helmet in the third episode of Siege of Mandalore. Yeah, the third one, the Order 66 episode. And she had a cute little baby face. But it adds so much here because it makes it make sense why Ursa asked Bo to help her. Because Ursa in the past has helped Bo. And so Bo has that kind of debt to pay back for, you know, I mean, they're friends. Like, they they work together, they fought together. And just Clone Wars adds so much history, just, just just small character moments of just Bo going, your mom asked me to come. And there's so much history behind that single line of, I'm here because your mom asked me to, because we just watched it in Clone Wars. Why Ursa and Bo are friends? <laughs> They were both in Death Watch together, and then they both defected Death Watch together, and now they saved Mandalore together, and just add so much. And in big letters, in my next note, I wrote, everything hits differently now with Clone Wars. Both Ahsoka and Sabine try to give Bo-Katan the right to rule. Ahsoka in, Clo- in Clone Wars says that she should do it because she's the right leader, and here Sabine tries in the opening to give her the bow the Darksaber. And Ahsoka and both Katan both say that she is not Sabteen, and she knows that she's not her sister, and she knows that she's not ready to rule. Star Wars, it rhymes in both shows. Yeah, it was it was really amazing watching this episode and watching season seven. You know what I mean? Yeah, I mean at the I've, same time, I was just like, oh my god. <laughs> yeah, I watched the Order sixty six episode on Friday. I did part one of the podcast of this episode on Saturday, part two on Sunday, and then I watched the finale today. So I've had like four straight days of Clone Wars and Rebels, and it's all just Mandalore stuff uh-huh. all together. <laughs> anyway, that's all I have for Act 1. All right. Act 2? Act 2. <clears throat> so all of our heroes are waiting at the top of the Mando Grand Canyon. Space Mom Hera calls into her husband asking what up for a set no, 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 asking for a status update. Uh, Kanan says that they only have one chance to save Papa Bear Wren, and that's by ambushing the convoy carrying him. Hera says that if they can't get Sabine's father, then they have to consider Mandalore. Uh, they have to consider to let Mandalore handle things on their own. She needs them back at base. And Kanan flashes his most charming smile and goes, "Oh, honey, flirting? Not in front of the children." And Hera's like, "I'm not supporting this." And Kanan's just like, just say you miss me, honey. And Hera hangs up on him. In the distance, explosions go off, and it's time to fight again. Sabine's mom has made a diversion to make the Imperial convoy go into the Grand Canyon. The Mandos rattle off an elaborate plan to make one of them stop her dad, or to make, to plan to make the tank with her dad stop so they can save him. Meanwhile, a Mando in charge named Captain Hark calls into Nutsack Saxon. Nut Nut Saxon, there we go. Catching him up to speed. They do some evil bad guy giggling, and Saxon says that he's ready readying a weapon. Hark then goes to Sabine's dad and does more evil bad guy schmoozing about how evil he is. And Papa Bear Alric is like, You stupid man, you obviously don't know my family. Hey wait! Do you want to hear about the history of architecture and artwork in the Mandalorian capital city? And Hark closes the door on him. <laughs> he goes, nerd. 
Sabine starts her attack and splatters paint on the on the tank that has her dad. And inside, her dad is like, oh, paint, that's my baby. And, and it's a really cool battle. Sabine and Uncle Rao and Bo-Katan are zooming all around, causing havoc in the air. The evil Mandos and Stormtroopers are fighting back. Kanan does some more cool Jedi tricks to pull their fire. And even Chopper gets in on the fight by grabbing a blaster and fucking pistol whipping a dude right in the head. The convoy with Papa Bear Alric falls behind to get out of the battle. And that's where Ezra is waiting for them. He uses his lightsaber to damage part of the tank. And he slides inside and throws the guards out. And Papa Bear Rain is like, Oh, are you with my daughter? And Ezra is like, Well, you see, I had this huge crush on her back in the earlier seasons. I think I might have grown out of that. I don't know, though. She's super pretty, and I want to pair, pet her hair, but not, like, in a creepy way. Like, we're not dating or anything. I don't know. Shipping is hard. And the dad is like, okay, free me, please. <laughs> and Chopper warns Ezra to shut up and stop talking about his failed romantic experiences because his tank is about to drive right off a cliff. Bum, bum, bum. How you doing, Chris? Act two? Hey, act two. Okay, what's your notes? Well, I had a note about how this chase was like Raiders of the Lost Ark, but I'm I guess sorry. it's just a stupid note now that you just crumple up and throw away. Um, yeah, that what, what made me sure that I was like, oh, this is Raiders of the Lost Ark was when um, Ezra was underneath it and uh, and sort of... I, I think his lightsaber sort of like caught on the ground a little bit and he just sort of slid out for, I'm like, that's totally Raiders of the Lost Ark. And then like two scenes later, he sort of squashed up against the, the wall as the tanks. And I'm like, Oh, that's, that's, uh, that's the 30 Indiana Jones movie, but they were both similar chases. So that was, that was pretty cool. And there, there's some more Raiders of the Lost Ark references coming up too. I like how, there's a lot of deserts in Star Wars, and this one, they like, it still has a different look from all the other, it doesn't look like tattooing or Jakku or anything like that, because it's more like um, straight line, it's like this white sand, and everything is jagged straight lines, like these straight line mesas and stuff, and it, and it just totally has a different look than other than other deserts so that's nice nice des design and definitely did i pick up on on the hint of a little bit of baby making going on i have one two three four five fucking notes about Kanan okay and that's okay the I'll, 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 let, I'll let you handle that because i was just like oh i know it's i know what that line's saying and, that's the majority uh, of my act two notes is all about Kanan and Hera. <laughs> That's that's really all I had for my notes. So we could go we could go right into the baby making if you want. Whoa! Get, get out of my... here! <laughs> Jesus, he's <laughs> like he's got radar, man. I'm gonna get my. Does he just my lurk around note? waiting for us to say anything that he can take like that? Yeah, he does. I mean, he does. I'm gonna I'm gonna put up one of those like invisible fences and give him a collar and. I was just thinking that. <laughs> <laughs> Just put it put it within fifteen feet of the show, and so we can get on with this stuff. Jesus! I just imagine Yoda on all fours, just with his back foot back foot scratching at the collar, just like scratch, scratch, scratch. <laughs> 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 
I'm going to get my one tiny note out of the way. Kanan is really cool in this battle. (laughs) I liked a lot of his, like, jumping from tank to tank and, like, jumping on the front of Sabine's speeder and riding it to the front and hopping off. Kanan was just really cool in this battle. He was having fun, yeah. He he really was. That's my tiny note. Okay, my five-part Kanan and Hera note. Here we go. (laughs) I think this is the first time that we've seen... Kanan actively flirt in the show and I I asked that as a question because like they're touchy feeling when they're in private but I think this is the first time where he's just like oh honey you miss me please tell me I'm important for you and they're starting to up Kanan's flirting there's he's had a couple sly lines with her and she's not like not not an exchange like this this was more of a this is a checking in with your girlfriend yeah. Rather than a check it in with with the your commanding officer and, one, and, she, and she's had some loves and huns too. And there's there's one scene somewhere in season one where like he has her arm around her and like she's like has her arm around him. Like so they've had their moments, but this is the first time where it's like obvious. Like hey, well, like yes, and yes. It, and it shows what a experienced flirter he is because he's doing it. He's doing it in a very like double entendre manner where he could be you know where she at one point says something like are we talking are we still talking about the mission you know yeah and and that was actually that was the lead-in to the the line about that i was just like uh-oh and planet succeed and the thing about that is like it is up in Kanan's flirting but it's also a slow building tension because we know that Kanan dies this season we know that's coming and so this is the season where they really ramp up Kanan and Hera's romance, and they ramp it up more and more. So it's more tragic when he dies in, like, six, six seven episodes. Right, right. <laughs> and it's, it's a tension builder for that. But here we go. This is what I've been talking about all series long that really fucking bothers me about this show. We know from the shorts that, ever, that premiered before the show ever aired that Kanan and Hera are together. We know this. It's obvious. It's clear. They're a couple. They're together. They call each other love and hun. They're always around each other. We know this. So why are we like pussyfooting and like, oh, what? Wait, yeah. Kim dies in six episodes. What? Let's up this now when it's already been happening the entire time. And the thing that's so maddening is. It's almost like it's for our benefit rather than theirs. You know, yeah. it's sort of like, I think, I, I don't know if they were pl- like, they consciously play up like. It reminds me of Cheers when, you know, in Cheers, it would be like, are they going to date or are they not going to date? You know, are they ever going to hook up or are they just going to flirt for the whole show? You know, with with um, Diane from Cheers and this one, it was like it was like I think it, it almost felt to me like they were like paying attention to like the fans and the fans were like, you know, do we know for sure that they're hooked up? And they're like, oh, you know. Maybe, you know, like they were playing with the controversy of it amongst like the fans or the, the discussion. I don't know if it was a controversy, but, you know, the discussion of are they or aren't they or how much are they and and all that. And it, and and so a lot of like a lot of the stuff when they like interact with each other almost seems like it's for the benefit of us, you know, because yeah. it seems like in the whole in the whole there's no reason at all for them 
they're not in an office together. There's no reason at all for them, for, for anybody not to know that they're romantically involved, at least in their, at least amongst the ghost crew yeah. and people that they're working with. You know, it might not be good if the Empire knew it because they knew they would have some leverage if they kidnapped one of the other, but, but whatever, you know, they have no reason to be, not be overt about it, you know? Yeah. And like, it's that where it bothers me so much this season is because we know all this from the previous three seasons that they're together. But here he's just like, you know how I feel. And Kara's like, whoa, whoa, whoa. And then like later on, like when she's yeah. just like, and I love you. He's like, oh, really? You love me? And we know by that point that Hera's fucking pregnant because five seconds later, Kanan dies. And we know this. And that's why it sucks so much. It hurts my feelings. And it's dumb. It's dumb because we know that they're together. So why act like they're? This is all big surprises that they suddenly are in love with each other when they've clearly fucked by this point. Yeah, no, it's very, understand. it's very like, it's very like fifth, sixth grade, <laughs> you know. Thank you. Oh, that's a really good comparison. Like this, before up to this point, it was really, really well written to where like if they they were still just doing like the whole like be careful, you miss me and stuff like that. But don't act surprised when they're just like. Oh wow, we kissed, big whoop. And I'm like, did you not kiss when you were fucking? <laughs> did you just like awkwardly like not put your faces together when you boned? Like, come on, like why is this supposed like to be a big surprise that Hera's kissing you? Is it because it's in front of the children? I don't understand. Why are you acting so surprised when she says that she loves you when it's clear pretty, that you guys pretty, have already pretty bowed? Pretty much like, all I... full-grown children. <laughs> yeah. I mean. <laughs> Uh, the all full-grown children, probably all of them, except for Chopper and Ezra, who've actually even had sex before and all that. <laughs> like, everybody else around them has probably had actual relationships and sex I, and everything. I'd rather not yeah. think about underage Sabine having sex, thanks. Oh, okay, never mind. But, you know, <laughs> Sabine's probably had a boyfriend, though, you know. She probably has and, had boyfriends. But um, I, I, I'm, I'm just that? saying. I'm 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 just saying there's no reason for them to be coy about it at all except for somehow our the the viewers benefit and I don't see why you know unless it's yeah I mean even with even even if it's like well little kids are watching but it's like so what I guess maybe they're not married but do you need to get space married in Star Wars maybe they have um space common law marriage and they've maybe, lived maybe, together maybe, maybe if you fight enough battles against the empire together you're space common law married or whatever and they can be boyfriend and girlfriend and they don't have to be married yeah but they're making babies oh, i don't no, know i, I don't know how disney is with that stuff these days and i don't know if they're 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 super careful about it with content that kids are gonna watch or if they're not, I don't know. But like, it, that would seem like it would be in the somewhat in in their what they're you know they're thinking about you know. I don't yeah. know. I All don't right. know. It's a mystery, but yeah. it's it's weird. It's it's always weird whenever they're all like, like you know, it's like they're 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 playing to a dynamic that they probably had years ago when they first met <laughs> you know and and it's like let's pretend that we're just sort of flirt with each other and not let anybody all these people that live in this tiny spaceship with us know that we're uh darking 
Yeah, I mean, it it is. Like, go back to A New Dawn, which is the book where they met. Like, Kanan was very obvious that he was like, you're pretty, and I love your voice. He actually falls in love with her voice first before he ever sees her, which is just, it makes it so much wonderful. Well, it, it makes it sweeter. That it would have been she- even better if she looked like Mama the Hot, and he's like, I don't care. <laughs> just keep talking. But, I mean... Like, he falls in love with her, but he's very clear. He's just like, hey, you want to fuck? And she's like, I'm on a mission right now. And he's like, okay, I'm going to help you on your mission. He's like, I'm on a mission, too. <laughs> yeah. and then Mission and, impossible. And so he joins on his on her, he joins on her mission. And then afterwards, he's like, so can I go with you so we can fuck? And she's like, yeah, sure, whatever. You're cute. <laughs> I mean, it's not totally been there. Anyway, my other Kanan and Hairlines. Um, I do like the idea of Kanan being the bleeding heart romantic because he flat out says, you know how I feel about you. And Kate and Hera's like, you need to go back to work now. And I love the idea that he is the bleeding heart romantic. And she's just trying to read like rebellion paperwork while he's just yeah. like, honey, no, that's, honey. That, that totally works. <laughs> yeah. I mean, think of it. He's a Jedi that you're kind of like a, you get, you got a lot of like, there's a lot of religion and spirituality to it in there, you know? Mm-hmm. So, so he's, he's, although there also was a lot of feeling squelching too, but he, he, <laughs> he got out of the Jedi's at a young age <laughs> mm-hmm. or, or the Jedi got out of existence when he was at a young age. So, but like, yeah. And like, yeah, I could totally see it. Yeah. Though I will say that this is the one part about it that I like because it's so tragic. Um, is that it's part of the tragedy of Hera's character. She's a good rebellion leader. She's so focused on the rebellion and she's so working, she's working so hard to help save the entire galaxy that she misses all this time to be with Kanan and then he dies. And that's part of her tragedy is that she, yeah, she's doing all this amazing work in the rebellion, but at what cost at the time that she loses with Kanan? And then she has to stop and re-evaluate, like, reevaluate that all that time that she lost that she could have had with them. And that's part at, of Hera's tragedy. At, at what cost? So probably at, at, at like, it could, you know, I mean, if she and Caden just decided to fly off and go find a remote planet and go have kids or just live and farm on the planet like uh, yeah. Thanos then the rebellion might not have been formed, you yeah, know? I mean, so it's, it's like, a catch, it's a catch 22. I mean, at, you least, either... at least, at least they, at least they got to, they had a common goal that they got to try to achieve together, you know, during yeah. their, their romance. It's the tragedy of wartime. Yeah. That's and what make, that's why you make movies about and, and TV shows about these characters. Cause it's got all that just mixed into it. I uh, mean, it's basically like, and I think on the TV shows have even more like the movies have elements of like World War Two dogfights and stuff. But like the TV shows have more of like this since they're a longer storyline. They have more of that like wartime life feel to it the, of, of old World War Two movies, you know, where yeah. where everybody, you know, everybody's wrapped up either in this or in the, you know, there's little resistant, like French foreign legion resistance movements and stuff. So it's just, yeah. Yeah. So that was my five part Canaan and Hera note. <laughs> <laughs> I have a lot to say about them. Well, um, that's, I, like- that, I mean, that's about the like biggest character stuff, like 
emotional character stuff in this whole storyline. Yeah. Um, and my last note is, um, even though I don't personally ship Sabine and Ezra together because I see them more being brother and sister, I had to laugh really hard at Ezra's line. I'm like, yeah, I'm with her. I mean, I'm not with her. Not like that. <laughs> and it's, it, it's a nice, funny moment that, like, even though I don't see them as shipping, I like that he's still very awkward around Sabine's dad because he once had a crush on her. <laughs> I just loved that entire sequence of, like, are you with Sabine? Yeah, I'm with her. I mean, not, like, with her. <laughs> and I was like, oh, this is this is prime Ezra. I'm, I'm here for this. Prime Ezra. It's, it's funny. This is one of the two matchups, too, with the, with the, um, and this gives me a chance to promote your other show, Hope Makes Chris Watch Cartoons. Yay! Is the, 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 um, Gravity Falls episode we have has a, has a bit element of that, like, Oh no, I don't like her. Sorry, Patrick oh. Delmore. I'm not. I'm just doing a random teenager, not Patrick Delmore. But it's oh. got that, and it's got the Duchess in it too. In Look in the you. Gravity Falls, there's there's the Duchess is in there. Hmm. So yeah, everything it's everything's cosmically al- all the cartoonies that I'm watching this weekend are all cosmically aligning. I, I feel you because I've been doing a rewatch of She-Ra before the new season starts on the 15th. And there are so many just like little Clone Wars things of like, because it's also a war show. They're fighting in a war. And there's just like little things here and there. I'm just like, huh, that's very Ahsoka of Adora to do. Or that's very Ezra for them to do. And there's just like little things here and there. I'm just like, yeah, I, I see this. <laughs> so, <laughs> anyway, that's all I had for Act 2. All right. Act 3. So, so the tank with Alric and Ezra is on its way hurling towards a cliff. Ezra gives Alric, Alric his jetpack, and Alric has no problems with it since, you know, he's a Mandalorian. Ezra climbs out of the tank and parkour jumps from falling tank to falling tank until he reaches the cliff, and Sabine pulls him up to safety. Captain Hart calls in to Nut Saxon to cl- catch him up on what's happened. Tyber again says that he's going to deploy the weapon and that the heroes will kneel before the Duchess, which is a red herring because Satine is dead. Back with the heroes, Sabine is reunited with her dad. It's awkward at first because she left and she hasn't had a big reunion yet, like with the rest of her family. But Alric pulls her into a huge bear hug and cries, Sabine, I love you so much. Your armor is color-coded with your hair and your eyebrows. The artwork is so beautiful. Look at the color and the lines. And Sabine is like, I missed you so much, Dad. I'm so unappreciated on the ghost with my artwork. No one gets it. And Kanan is like, Thank you for correcting my spelling error. <laughs> I thought you'd do that. I instantly regretted it because I heard you stop talking the second I did it. <laughs> it's funny because it's been trying to, like, it, it keeps trying to say blonde, not blind. <laughs> well, I, I thought this, I thought you were trying to say you weren't always blonde, blonde other dad. And I'm like, what is he? I, I don't remember there being a blonde other dad in this. Anyway, sorry. (laughs) (laughs) So Sabine is like, I am so unappreciated on the ghost with my artwork. No one gets it. And Kana is like, in my defense, I'm blind. And Sabine is like, you weren't always blind, other dad. And finally, Bo-Katan is like, I'm really bored with this conversation. Let's get out of here. 
Uncle Rao calls into Mama Bear Wren to let her know that they got her husband. Turns out that Ursa and Tristan are still fighting what's left of Saxon's men. They see off in the distance some Imperials coming in with something big. Sabine and her team are listening in on the fighting, but when an electrical hums, humming sound is heard, Sabine goes really pale. She knows that sound from her Imperial days. She screams for them to get out of there. And off in the distance, our heroes hear an explosion. Sabine flies off in a panic and everyone follows. Sabine gets there and there's, an, there's ash floating all around her. Burnt armor litters the ground. The others arrive and they're all confused. There's no bodies left anywhere, just charred armor. And Ezra asks what could have done this. Papa Bear Wren says a weapon did this. It was the weapon that was created by Sabine. And Sabine drops to her knees and breaks down in tears. End of part one. I will say I did have a moment where like, as they're all flying away to go rush off to the like ash field, Kanan drives and Papa Bear Rain like jumps on the back of it and I'm just like, why are you letting the blind Wait, yeah, guy? Yeah, is it supposed to be the other way around? That's what I thought. Oh well, I mean, it's not there you the go. First time that Kanan has driven a speeder, like he's well, done it yeah, before. Well, yeah, Kanan, like in this season, and like probably at this point, you pretty much don't have to worry about. Kanan is basically, he's not. You just can't see his eyes. He's basically yeah. functionally seeing after this point you know he's yeah he feels the force in the right he's like daredevil he can see yeah he's got he's got a picture in his head so he's fine yeah but i still had a giggle a moment what'd you think of act three i i like the i like the doc star destroyer in the in the atmosphere Mm -hmm. which was which was sort of like a little 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 rogue one sort of thing where you're like oh yeah Star destroyers in the atmosphere, and uh, it's funny that Dad's a wimpy, wimpy artist. Um, like I wouldn't even think Mandalorian are. I didn't. I wouldn't think there would be Mandalorians like his dad. I think they. I, I would think they would make them all slaves <laughs> or something, <laughs> you know, or they would have like lower caste I sort mean, of things. But it seems like well, that's Mandalorian I mean, does value art too, so. He's probably, yeah, there's probably like, he's probably part of a, a whole class of people like that. But, uh, um, Satine had some amazing artwork in her throne room and somebody had to make it. My only other note is, man, Sabine's weapon is pretty, pretty psychotic. It's, uh, that's, that's, that's a, that's a hard, yeah. uh, Hard, hard one to write off here. We're gonna. I, I have some more notes coming up on how this is dealt with, in in this episode for bet for good and bad. But that we- that weapon is like is like, um, <laughs> sociopathic. <laughs> Even if you're just doing, it, it's like holy cow. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, it's. Yeah, you know, I, I'm gonna start with my about the weapon too. It reminded me. Well, like I was gonna say that's all I got. So went you... off like Pompeii or something. Yeah, it kind of reminds and outlines of the dead Mandos in the sand. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And all that's left is, is their armor, and like there's ash everywhere in the air. It it reminded me like a small volcano, left an impression of all the Mandos. 
was in the sand with the it's just beautifully shot anyway like it's it's heart-wrenching the music is wonderful in that scene the music's so well, good but it's a lot like hiroshima just, too yeah oh very much oh that's a much better example than volcanoes because they had their they had their shadows like burned into the walls and stuff like that yeah but it's, that's it's sort that's of similar to both of them example. yeah but yeah that's a that's yeah, i that mean that's my only so other good. note is is that that yeah. weapon is I insane mean, and one and one once again, Tia Tia Sikar brings it as Sabine sobbing and screaming like that when she realizes the weapon is what the weapon is and what's being used. Like she just screams for her mother and her brother. Tia, again, is so good in her voice acting this time around. Um, all my other notes are about Alric, Alric and Ursa and Kanan. <laughs> I wrote, I really need to find some fanfics for Ursa and Alric meeting because. I bet she's like blowing something up and he's like, the colors are so beautiful. Will you marry me? And she's like, I'm fighting. Leave me alone. He's like, okay, but marry me when you're done. <laughs> like I need fan fiction of these two. Like how did they get together? He was like I designing her armor or something. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, that'd be so nice. Where She's like, I want this painted on here. Can you do it? And he's just like, yes, I can. And he, he paints it and she's like, I guess I like it. Don't look at me. And he's like, I'm, I can't stop looking at you. You're beautiful. She's like, don't look at me. I'm a warrior. He's like, yes, but can I write you poetry about your warrior escapades? And she's like, I would like poetry about my warrior escapades. Make them brutal. And he's like, I can make it so brutal. I can write you an entire limb. What, what are they called? Shakespeare's entire sonnet about how warrior badass you are. And she's like, oh, my God, take me now. <laughs> I need this fanfiction, Chris, so bad. I picture, I picture him saying, oh, my God, take me now, actually. But, yeah, somewhere along that line. Yeah, oh, man, I need it. I need to write it. <laughs> um, my only other note is, um, and this isn't, like, a really bad thing. This would have just been, like, a little extra thing. It doesn't take away from the episode that this wasn't there. So let me make sure I, I make that clear. Um, it would have been nice if there was a scene where Alric and Kanan got to touch base briefly about both of them being Sabine's dads, because that was one of my favorite parts several episodes ago when we first meet Sabine's mom, is Kanan is arguing for her for their daughter, because he's been her dad for several years, and Ursa hasn't been in her life the last few years, and they're arguing about where Sabine is as a daughter. And so it would just been kind of nice if there was a scene of like, oh, you're the one that's been looking out for my daughter, and Kanan's like, yeah, you've raised a great kid, it's been an honor to keep an eye on her. Just just something nice. Like, it's not super needed, but it would have been a nice little scene to try and slide in there. But there's so much happening in this episode that I'm not I'm not griping that it's not there. Does that make sense? Yeah. It would have just been nice. So I, you know, I was gonna gripe a little you know what's funny is I was gonna gripe a little bit. I thought their their like their conversation of he's like, I've noticed you the style of blah 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 and your line is getting better and stuff like that. And I was like, Yeah, this is kind of not it's a little awkward but then i was thinking man it's it, like everybody around like in that that studio making rebels are are like artists i mean dave filoni's an artist so they like it, it's accurate art talk you know mm -hmm. <laughs> but it's weird for some reason it sounds like they sort of like maybe dumbed it down a little bit to to sound more understandable and stuff and i think they should have gone 
harder in you know i think they should have used some of their like super nerd art terminology or and and applied that to make it sound like they're you know like they're speaking their for like a foreign art language to themselves but all the art majors or, would hear it and be like oh yes or have ezra say something because back in the lando episode lando was like oh sabine look at your artwork is this mm-hmm. from a so-and-so era of artists and she's like oh my god i'm so glad you know the so-and-so era and ezra's those, like, those- Ezra's like, I know artwork, and they're like, no, you don't. <laughs> well, both of those conversations had the same sort of feel to to me, to to both of them. Like, they were, like, the, the way that, but, yeah. I guess it didn't bother me as much because I got what I wanted. It, uh, didn't, I, it didn't bother me. It was just sort of a note that... I mean, I've always been saying that, like, I wish they would lean into Sabine's art side more. Because I've been wanting more characters that's like Cinna from Hunger Games, where it's these artist types that use their artwork to, as propaganda and as recruitment as, and as statements against tyranny. And I've been wanting more like Cinna from Hunger Games characters in this. So it, I was just like, yes, art talk. Yay, Sabine. We need like this. And maybe if they had used it more, it wouldn't seem weird out of place. Does that make sense? Yeah. They don't use her art enough in this series, which has always been a bit of a bother to me. But that's that's all I have, so moving on. All right. Act four. Start the second half of this. Ooh, here we go. Act four. So Sabine and the crew arrive to the death and destruction. Her mom and her brother are nowhere to be seen. Sabine is obviously very upset because it was the weapon that she built that caused all of this. Sabine blames herself for all of this and starts to mourn her family. But luckily, Ursa and Tristan appear from behind a pile of ash, and they're alive! They were lucky that the weapon had a short range, and they were able to take cover. They're busted up, but they're alive, and that's what matters. But there's no time for big emotional reunions, because the Empire is flying back in there to finish what they started. But Sabine is in a rage! She whips out the Darksaber and heads right for the Mandos while Ezra is protecting the Wounded Wrens. And Wounded Wrens would make an excellent rock band name. Anyway, Kanan, Uncle Rao, and Bo-Katan join in protecting the Wrens. As the TIE Fighters are moving in, too, they look to be lost. But luckily and conveniently, another Mando ship happens to swoop in there and stop the TIE Fighters. But their ship gets hit by TIEs, so Sabine has to go to work keeping the ship stable. And Bogotan is like, I fucking got a jetpack. Let me at him. And she jumps off the ship and takes on the TIE Fighters like a badass. And Ezra is like, I don't want to be a Mandalorian. But he jumps out of the ship anyway, question mark? Bo takes out the first TIE Fighter with ease. Ezra flails through the air and somehow manages to blow up the second one with a rocket. So yay, team. And they have survived another day. Back with the bad guys. It's about to get sexy in here. And this was part of the reason why I talked about the background of Thrawn Alliance going into the scene. Because it's Blue has bando time, you guys. Nut Saxon is meeting with Thrawn, and they're watching a video of Sabine's weapon being used on Clan Ren. Tiber is all giddy, but Thrawn is like, Uh, bro? Are you okay with attacking your own heritage? Beskar is, like, ingrained in your people. Your brother didn't even use this weapon. 
And Nut Saxon is like, um, Blue Bro, the Empire wants this uprising to be finished quickly. Why are you questioning my methods? It's like you just spent a week on Batu with Lord Vader, where he was qu constantly questioning your loyalty for the Empire. And Thrawn is like, I don't see this as an effective method, dude. You're gonna turn your own people against you if you attack their Beskar. And Tiber is like, then I guess I'll just kill everyone who opposes me if they don't want it to evolve with me. Thrawn shrugs and goes, it's your funeral then. But a piece of advice, if you make the, make the weapons range wider, you might live longer. Oh wait, you can't because you're a bunch of idiots. To so capture Sabine Wren and maybe you'll be useful to me. Peace out. And Thrawn hangs up on the Skype call. And Captain Hark is like, um, the Empire is going to kill us, aren't they? And Nut Saxon is like, not if we win. Find Sabine Wren now. Back with our heroes, they're all on Bo-Katan's ship, and they're just kind of processing the battle. Papa Bear and Mama Bear Wren are tending to their, each other, and they're back finally together again after so long, and Elric has his arm around Ursa and, and holding her arm like, Honey, you're wounded, and Ursa's like, Oh my god, tell me sonnets! <laughs> but Sabine is so upset, so her brother Tristan checks on her. Sabine was supposed to have destroyed the weapon, but it looks like the Empire rebuilt it. Boke Tan then kicks in the door, picks up Sabine, throws her against the wall, and holds a blade to her throat, calling Sabine a coward for making such a horrible weapon. Kanan stops Ezra from interfering, while Sabine's family just watches a full-grown woman threaten their 17-year-old daughter with a knife to her throat. Mandalorians! <laughs> Fucking Mandalorians! Sabine admits that she made a huge mistake when she built it, but she also thought she completely destroyed the weapon. This is enough for Bo to calm down Bo-Katan for a moment. And Ezra holds up his hand going, Hey guys, Ezra here. I have a great idea. If this weapon attacks Beskar, then why not just make your armor out of something different? And every single Mando just, oh, How dare you! And dead stares at him like he just said that they all need to sacrifice their firstborn child or something. They explain that Beskar is super important because it's part of their identity. Sabine says that her armor is fi 500 years old. They can't just get new armor. And Bo side-eyes Sabine and goes, Well, now this armor will kill us. Thanks. And that's where the screen wipe was, which is a very weird place to end an act, but that is the end of the act because yep. that is the clear screen wipe. What'd you think of act four? Four? Four! Well, right off the bat, Mandalorians are idiots for not switching their armor for a battle or two. You know, dressing, you know, I, okay, tradition and stuff like this, but you know what also the, they have a tradition of? Surviving as warriors and being great warriors. And being a great warrior would be like, let's make suits that look like Beskar and go riding in there and they'll just be ready to zap us. They won't be prepared to fight. And then when they zap us and we don't have our Beskar, we wipe them out, destroy the machine, and then we put our Beskar on again. I was under the impression this was the first time the machine got used, so they didn't know about it until just now. That was well, my that, that, That's what I, I'm saying. They know yeah. they know about it, but I mean, they know about it now, but they instantly are like, oh, oh no way. Okay. No way would we do that, you know? And it's like, yeah. no, you, I, I would think that the Mandalorians would be crafty enough to do, you know, to, you know, I mean... There's there there's a point where being a Mandalorian is beyond your armor. You know what I mean? 
And so if they use your armor against you, you know, then then switch your methods and survive. Anyway. <laughs> yeah. I see what you're saying. They know about uh, it now. Uh, I'll do my uh, shallow notes <coughs> first. Um, I've got a note here. I don't know exactly what it was he said, but I have a note here that says, shut up, Thrawn. Talks too much. Oh, I have uh, a very, very, I have a two-part Thrawn note. <laughs> I was just like, shut up, shut up, Thrawn. Um, the, the, there's a, the Mandos versus TIE Fighter fight is cool and also a nice little sneak preview of I forgot all about this Mandos versus TIE Fighter fight Ooh, when, when I watched The Mandalorian. Yeah. And I thought that, I was like, this is the first time we've seen this kind of action before. But guess what? It was not. And so this is a nice little preview of some and and, uh, and it plays out differently. So it's it was it was pretty cool. And the secret weapon looks like Ed 109. I think it's Ed 109 from uh, RoboCop. I've never seen RoboCop, so I don't know the reference. It, it, it was a police. It was like a police robot that, that goes awry. But instead of like the array that it has on this, it had an array of machine guns. But it was pretty much the same shape, and it, it looked like it looked like Ed 109. Nothing's but, uh, coming up when I Google it, so I don't know. Oh, oh, wait, yeah. Oh, it does kind of look like that. Yeah. Yeah, so it was like a nice little oh, RoboCop. Oh, Ed 209. Ed 209. I knew it was something 09. Yeah, it does kind of look like that. Oh, geez, RoboCop is a great movie. Anyway, that's all my notes I got for part four. We need to have another podcast. I have Hope Makes Chris Watch Cartoons, and you need Chris Makes Hope Watch Movies. <laughs> Am I right? That could be interesting. Maybe we can do specials every once in a while, and we'll do a, we'll do a commentary or something. I don't know. No, that, that could be interesting. We, maybe we should just do a special on... We'll we'll do a special every once in a while. Where I'll reverse it and make you watch some some important some movie that's important to me that you've never seen. Yeah, between shows and stuff. Yeah. I would like to do. I I was so maybe young. during the holiday seasons. Yeah, I was so young when Indiana Jones when I watched Indiana Jones and I I have not watched it in my adult years so I barely remember anything of it and there's so many Indiana Jones references in Star Wars. You ever watched Fury Road? No. Ooh, there's lots of interesting stuff to discuss in that. I don't know if I ever that, saw that. You, huh? I don't think I've ever seen any of the Planet of the Apes. It's uh Mad Max, but that's I know. Not, I'm just. Oh, I know it's Mad. I know it's Mad Max. I'm just. Oh, you've never seen any Planet of the Apes either. Well, yeah. Yeah, I RoboCop was one. I don't think I've ever watched Terminator. I don't think I've ever. I, I, it's one of the, like, these are all I wouldn't, I wouldn't, Terminator's an AI movie, so, so, you know, like, RoboCop sort of is an AI movie, but the, uh, but the, the RoboCop is, is really a person, soul, it's a, a real person in the AI or whatever, but, like, yeah, I, I, I don't know, I, I, like, Terminator, I wouldn't pick Terminator for you, that would be just torture, that would just be mean. Things are fine. Like I'm okay with like droids and Star Wars. We'll see. Hey, hope, yeah, but this is a movie about AI trying to wipe out the entire world. <laughs> and I'll be screaming and talking about why it's bad. <laughs> yeah, yeah. yeah. So. Anyway, that's all I got. 
Um, I'm going to get my shortest note out of the way. Man, Mando's in their tough love. Bo-Katan is a full fucking grown woman and holds a knife to 17-year-old Sabine's throat and her parents and brother just watch. That totally like, yeah. does not seem out of character to Mandalorians to me. I so, know. Like, but, like I saw it and I'm just like, yeah, yeah. That's why Kanan's just like, Ezra, stay out of this. These are Mandalorians are, you know. They're crazy people. They, 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 they got to punch each other. Let them punch. Yeah, yeah. I just, but that's I, how they I show love. I just had to laugh because I was just like, this is a full-grown woman threatening a 17-year-old. Yeah. <laughs> um, and my other thing was, I questioned Ezra's jetpack choices because he thought, he's like, I don't want to be in Mandalorian, but I'm going to jump out the TIE fighter anyway. <laughs> and I was like, why? why? Just, just leave it to Bo-Katan. She's doing fine, kid. She's fine. She doesn't need to. <laughs> It was just a moment. I was just like, Ezra, come on. I just like the jetpack skills are not like a, a instantly compatible Jedi skill, you know? Yeah. Because usually Jedis just pick up on every, anything pretty quickly. And Ezra's obviously not doing the jet. And I mean, Jedi can't. I mean, I like it. I like that there's Ezra's with his jet jetpack. And Caden just foregoes a jetpack and just can jump anywhere he needs to. So he does have a jetpack later on in the episode. Mm-hmm. But I there's some notice. scenes in this where Caden just goes woo. <laughs> yeah. You know. Yeah, I, I think like when they get to the top of the tower in Act One, like Ezra flies up there, but Caden just fucking jumps Kanan all just the way takes to the a, top. A big running jump up there. Yep. <laughs> all right. Ready for my two throw notes that you're absolutely going to disagree with that I don't care about that you're disagreeing. So it felt very Thrawn to me and I liked it because it felt so Thrawn because he flat out calls out the Duchess attacking the best car and he tries to reason with Tiber like, hey, this is the heart of your culture. If you use this on your own culture, you're going to turn your own people against you. And Saxon is just like, no, my, I will kill anyone who's weak. And Thrawn's like, do you, how am I supporting your culture more than you are? Like, and he even points out, like, your brother didn't even use this weapon because he understood it would turn your people against you. And I liked that because, for one, it was very Thrawn. Because he was like, look, let's talk about the culture and the background of this best car. But he was also coming at it from an imperial angle of like, if you use this, you're going to lose the war. And we can't have you lose the war because that would be bad for the Empire. So it was a very nice balance of Thrawn of like him talking about the culture and the art. But also like coming at it from an angle of like, this is a bad plan. Like you're going to make your people hate you and it's not going to work. And it felt very, very Thrawn to me. And I liked that. I don't know. I figure if you if if you know Mandalorians, you probably know that like um, lecturing them on their own culture is probably not is <laughs> probably gonna fall on deaf ears. But but the thing is, is that he was very specific. Like your brother didn't use this weapon, uh-huh. which mo- which means is like he, they had this conversation with Gar, and Gar was like, "I'm not gonna use this because it's gonna make my people hate me." And Thrawn was like, "Okay." But Tiber is just so like power hungry and drunk with power well, that he's yeah. just like, yeah, fuck everything. But they're, they're they are such an insular community that it's just like it's just like you know telling some you know that uh, it just it's it's almost like it's this the, hey look you know Thrawn you may be right but this is so this is Mandalorian business dude <laughs> you know. 
So like, but, and, but Theron was right. I mean, he was like, he was like, yeah, this is not going to work. You're going to fail because of this. It's going to be used against you. And it was. I think they were going to fail because they were working with Thrawn, but you know, that's just me. Are you ever going to agree with any of my Thrawn notes? Maybe. We'll see what your Thrawn notes are. <laughs> <laughs> I can't predict the future, Hope. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, and yeah, then yeah, my yeah. other... Yeah, 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 yeah! <laughs> and my other Thrawn note is... I was watching Thrawn's face very carefully, as I do. Does that I'm remember sure. him? Mm-hmm. As I do. And at one point while he's talking with Tiber, he turns his back to Tiber, so Tiber can't see his face. And when Tiber blows off his own people and saying, like, oh, I will use my culture against my own people, there's actually a moment where you can see Thrawn is shocked hearing this. Like, he hears Tiber say this about his own people, and, like, his eyes get big, and he presses his lips together, and his eyes start moving really quickly. Like, he's realizing why Tiber is going to fail. And then he actually does try to offer his advice. He's like, look, you know, work on the weapons range then, because if you don't widen the range, you are going to fail because you're not going to kill them fast enough. But I I liked that moment, too, because it's not often that we see Thrawn get shocked by stuff. And he is shocked when Tiber is like, yeah, I'm going to attack my people's culture. And his eyes just get so big, like, oh, my God, dude, you're going to (laughs) die. And that was the moment where I think Thrawn realized, like, oh, this is not going to work. But he does at least try, like, to be the good boss. of like, okay, this is what you need to do to succeed. And Tiber's like, nah, fuck off. I just, I liked it. I liked that moment. It was very subtle, and it was only a few moments. But, like, it was one of those moments that, like, I was watching it, and I realized it, and I had to stop, and I go, was Thrawn shocked by that? And I rewinded it, and I was like, yeah. Tiber fucking shocks him with his, his statement of attacking his own people and, and attacking their culture, and Thrawn is shocked by that. He's like, okay, well, you're great, buddy. Yeah. Anyway. <laughs> Moving on. Um, I also really like what this episode does for Sabine. Um, it really fills in pretty much her journey since season three till now, when about the time that the Darksaber showed up in Voices and Visions to right now. It just really fills in so much of the earlier seasons of like why she's so defensive and why she doesn't want to talk about her past and like why she's hiding it. Because she's clearly ashamed and quite mortified by the thing that she's built. And it's just a really good way to add back to those earlier seasons because now we understand why she's so protective of her past because she's just ashamed and she's embarrassed and she's haunted by this. Absolutely haunted by this. And it's just really good Sabine work. Sabine work. Yeah. And then my only other note is I like the... (coughs) Choked on spin. I'm okay. Um, I really liked the explanation about why the Beskar is so important to the Mandalorians. I had completely forgotten that Sabine's armor is 500 years old because it doesn't look it. And to me, like, that that whole explanation of, like, this Beskar is important. It's ancient. We forge it with our families and all this. It actually adds back into the show The Mandalorian because we see in The Mandalorian, like, they treat the Beskar like it's a cross to a Christian Like, it's a holy thing to them, and they treat it with respect and reverence. So this explanation really added back to that show, and I was like, and it just makes it go, oh, that's why they're so 
they respect this this metal so much because it's so ingrained. So it's just a really nice explanation of why Beskar is so important. And blaster bolts bounce right off it. That's yeah. that's also a good thing. But that's all I had for Act 4. All right. Act V. Act, Act V. Bo-Katan's ship lands at a super secret base that's out in the open, beside a mountain. And why not just, like, go in a cave or something? Anyway, they're at the Kree's base. And none of the Mandos are really happy to see Sabine. They pull their guns out on them. And Papa Bear Wren hurries out there, trying to convince them that his daughter tried really hard to destroy the weapon, and the Empire should be the one they're all pissed at. He's being all diplomatic, while Mama Bear Wren is like, If any of y'all lay a finger on my daughter, I'll fucking decapitate each and every one of you. So help me. Do you like your fingers? You're not gonna have fingers anymore if you touch my daughter. And they all put their pistols on each other like it's a scene from The Office. But Sabine steps forward and takes responsibility for her actions. She explains that they could either fight each other or work together to stop the weapon. Bo-Katan steps up and says, Friends, I understand your anger. I just pulled a knife on this 17-year-old girl like five minutes ago. But Mando bygones and all, Sabine's right. Put your shit to the side and let's work together. And all the Mandos are like, ah, works for me. And they all put their guns away. Everyone meets up in a tent for strategy meetings. They want two teams, one to take out the weapon and the other to destroy the information about it. Uncle Rao brings up that they could use it against the Empire. This is an important note for later. And Sabine uh, says that she did consider using it on the Empire one time in the plastoid of their armor, but she decides to keep them on track, saying that it must be destroyed. Ursa wants to lead the attack team, but she's pretty beat up from the last battle, so Sabine sidelines her mom. She also volunteers to destroy the weapon herself, since Sabine knows it best, and Bo-Katan says that she will get Sabine there, and the two Jedi and Chopper will wipe the information. Uncle Rao pulls be Bean. Uncle Rao pulls Bo to aside and is like, Isn't my honorary niece really cool? You like her now, don't you? And Bo-Katan is like, Yes, I like her. Fine. She's a true Mando and a really good leader, and she's A-OK -okay in my book. And it's time to start their attack. They all infiltrate Nut Saxon's Star Destroyer, and they sneak into the hangar bay. And they can see that the core of the weapon isn't there, and Sabine says that the Imperials must be working on the Duchess somewhere else. And Bokan is like, hold up, hold up a moment, hold, a time out on the battle, everybody. You named your weapon after my sister, the pacifist ruler? My sister, who didn't believe in fighting, to the point where her boyfriend, Obi-Wan, was like, can you please pick up a blaster for, like, half a second? My sister! And Sabine is like, I know! Leave me alone! I was, like, 12! I thought it would be cool! And a couple of stormtroopers spot them, as Bo-Katan's having conniption about Satine. And the, and the attack starts. And the Mandos are distracting them, while Bo and Sabine head for the weapon. The Jedi and Chopper head for the information area. Bo and Sabine find the core, but the moment they enter the room, it turns on and zaps them. Not enough to kill them, but to knock them on their asses. And Nut Saxon slides into the room like, Hey, bitches! You thought you could sneak onto my ship? Oh, hell no! I got you now! These nuts! Boom, boom, boom. All right. 
Yeah! Landing that D's nuts. I threw that D's nuts in there for you. Thank you. You're welcome. I love you. Thank you. My favorite presidential candidate. I know. I think of you sometimes. I do. When you hear D's nuts? Yeah. All right. So... What do you think of F.D.? My two notes are kind of gripes, but the first gripe, they're, they're not big gripes, but the first gripe is just sort of a general story gripe is if she made this weapon, the, the, the cat is out of the bag, you know, I don't buy the whole like, they were like, okay, we'll blow up the weapon and then it'll be done. And then they, they said that in the last, last part and in act five. And I was thinking to myself, I was already scribbling notes like, what, you, they've got a prototype of it. They've got plans for it somewhere. And then in, the, then in part five, they say something like, we'll get the droids on there and they'll wipe the memory of the of the plans. And I'm like, there's no way. You know, they might wipe the memory of the plans on that Star Destroyer or whatever. But like, like there's no way with any kind of secret weapon or weapon that it isn't like double secretly redundantly backed up. And, you know, so, so that people can't do ex- just pop onto the, you know, I'm, I'm assuming like if I pressed the writers and said what, yeah, you know, they were like, Oh, they, they, you know, they punched into the main Imperial mainframe and took it off. And it's like, that's a really crappy mainframe. They should sue the people who set it up, you know? I have a so, counterpoint. Yes. My counterpoint is Rogue One, because they only had one copy of the Death Star plans. Well, I mean, yeah, I would I would I would carry it to that too. I would carry like I would like I would think Palpatine himself would have his own little hard drive with all that stuff on it just in in case because palpatine knows he can trust himself you know if there's any yeah. secret weapons that's but that's a minor quibble i know you know you can't just pull this story to a screeching halt to fit it to work out the, the, the piddly details of how they're wiping the memory of it that but like i think they sort of I think they sort of... Um, it's much harder to sneak into Palpatine's office to get stuff. <laughs> well, they, 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 they sort of wimped out, I think, on this weapon in, in this. I think, I think Sabine got away very easily in this episode because... they Well, first they, they, they did the fake out where they set up like, you know, this weapon is psycho and then like, and it just cost me my mother and my brother Mm -hmm. you know that is very that's very dramatic and that's very appropriate in in like uh a a cost for making that weapon you know what i mean because that weapon is that that weapon's bad news and yes you know you can sympathize for it because you you know her explanation for it but attaching that hard cost of we designed the weapon, we destroyed it at the cost of my mom and the brother. That's some heavy storytelling right there. And I yeah. and, and, and by setting it up that the mother and brother are dead and then and then, then they're like, Oh, we were out of range. It's just like, oh well the, you just took some of the the cost, you know, the the cost to Sabine that she has to internally process for this. And I mean it would have been a awful thing for her to experience, but it would have been 
in line with you know the creation of a weapon you know like you know you can see a like balance in the force type of thing with it but yeah they they, they sort of let her off easy with it and uh and it would have been also tragic because like ursa in the last time ursa was here she was like really upset because she was like they took my husband you know and what like what if mm -hmm. ursa died before she got to reunite with her husband and now he's a widow and it, it would have been super tragic <laughs> Yeah, 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 and it would have it would have made the price and the stakes a lot higher for Sabine, and uh, she, you know, I mean, she understands what she did, but that would have really, but like that would have put the cost to it, you know. Yeah. The cost in this is for a little while people are mad at her, but by the end of the episode, everybody's everybody's fine. So, yeah. and uh. And this was this was the part where I sort of noticed that that um, both of these episodes are, are kind of like the same episode twice in a row with just little different character things going on in them. And in, in, in so far, not in so far as the story, but in the way that they're sort of had the action sequences play out. Mm -hmm. And I don't know if that's really a criticism, but I just noticed that they were very, very that they that there was almost like. I don't think you could have put this story into one episode, but There's only it's so many almost things you can... almost not enough for two episodes. It feels a little little padded out for two episodes. Yeah, two there's episodes. only so much you can do with like jetpacks and fighting. Right, right. So like, yeah, by this point, it was like, okay, let's let's see where this this is going. But that's all I have. I have a shallow note and a deeper note. So my shallow note is, I love the difference between Sabine's parents. Because when they land at Bo-Katan's base, Auric is trying to be all diplomatic, and he's like, please lower my weapons. Please believe in my daughter. Meanwhile, Ursa's like, I'll fucking murder all of you. I need fan fiction of these guys. I need fanfics because they're adorable, and I love them so much. And I love how they're so different because he's all just like, let's be peaceful while, like, while holding back his wife who's like drawing blasters on people. <laughs> I love them, Chris. I love them. Auric and her stuff forever. But my my big notice, um, it comes from the scene where Rao pulls Bo-Katan off to the side. And the two of them are talking about Sabine and how she's like the future of Mandalore and stuff like that. And it gave, I like this idea of the old guard embracing the new guard. Sabine represents both what Mandalore used to be, but she's also the future of what Mandalore will be to come. And people like Rao, the Rin family, and Bo-Katan can see that. And I think this really resonated with me because in our own world, we're going to talk about our own world for a second, it can be really frustrating at times with my generation where it feels like the old guard laughs at my generation and they're not ready to embrace us for who we are and not recognizing that we are the future and spoiler it doesn't just feel like that they really are laughing at you and laughing off your generation yeah but the thing is we are the future and we have our own merit and it's different from the old guard because a lot of the old guard just doesn't understand things like technology and we are the future and they're not ready to embrace the new guard and they're not getting out of the way for the new guard to come in and for us to make our mark, which is part of the reason why my generation is so stunted at times, because we can only blanketing advance. It. Yeah, we can only advance so far before we run into the old guard, and the old guard's like, "You're not allowed past this point because we're not going to let you." 
So it was really just refreshing to see a story where the older generation is looking at someone like Sabine and going, that's the future right there. So we need to support the future because this is what's next for our culture. So I just really, really, really loved that moment. Yep. Yep. Instead of looking at her as a threat, they're like, hey, she's what we were one day once. Yeah, but <laughs> this different. Is, this is what we wanted them to come out like. Yep. We, see, she was just like us, but she's also doing things in a new way. And we need to support this new way mm -hmm. and let her do her thing and let her lead. Same thing with like Ezra and Kanan being the new form of the Jedi. I mean, it's, it's, it's the same with them, too. I mean, they are the future of what the Jedi become with with people like Luke and Rey and Ahsoka. Like, they are the new generation, and the Jedi of old w couldn't get out of their own way, and they all perished for it. And the new guard was like, all right, well, we're all that's left. Let's do this. So I just really, really, really liked that story because it re really resonated with me in that moment. But that's all I have for Act of V. All right. Are we ready to uh, wrap, wrap the puppies? this puppy up? Yep. Yeah, let's put nice bows on them and then gently put them inside the electric fence with Yoda so, like, he can pet them and take care of the puppies. I'm keeping the puppies away from Yoda for now. That's true. He like might it, eat one. I can supervise, yeah. He's going to swallow one whole, like, baby. Uh, yeah, Yoda. I don't know. You, you, you never know with that guy. Well, Just like come baby. out. There'll be a little wagging tail sticking out of his mouth. <laughs> like like baby Yoda and frogs just swallowing yep. a puppy hole. <laughs> yeah. All right, Act Six. Act Six. So Nut Saxon got Sabine and Bo knocked on their asses, and Tiber's going on about how Sabine is going to help them or pay the price. But surprisingly, it's Captain Hark, the Imperial, that steps in. Hark's all for killing rebels, but he doesn't want the weapon to be used on his own people. And Tiber is all like, "I am the Empire, bitch." And he turns the weapon. Uh, he turns the weapon on again, and he has no fucks to give as Hark gets zapped along with Sabine and Bo. Tiber has gone power crazy and doesn't get, care about fucking over his own people in the process. Meanwhile, Ezra and Kanan are holding off stormtroopers as Chopper finds the Duchess's data plans. As Chopper starts deleting everything, Ezra tries to call into Sabine, but she doesn't answer. Kanan tells him to go help her out, which doesn't matter because he never gets. The, he never does. And they'll finish da data erasing on their side of things. Ezra gets to the hangar bay. And chef's kiss. It's the scene from Clone Wars all over again. When the door opens in front of Obi-Wan. And he sees all the Mandos fighting. In the Mandalore arc of Clone Wars. And it's so good. It sure Star is. Yes, it sure is. Star Wars yeah. rhymes, everybody. Ezra flies into where Sabine is and Rao uh, flies into the hangar and Rao points up to the other area and he's like, hey, see all that lightning going off? That's where Sabine is. Typer stops torturing people and gives Sabine a chance. Make the weapon better or Bo-Katan will die. Um, Sabine agrees to help him to spare a bow who is begging her to stop. The thing is, they were talking earlier about Hey, what if the weapon could be turned on Stormtrooper armor? And now, Tiber is letting Sabine, the person who invented this weapon, touch her own weapon. Do you see where this is going? <laughs> Sabine gives Tiber a chance to change his mind. She explains that Mandalorians should be free and not ruled by the Empire. She quote-unquote fixes the machine, but she begs him to not use it. Oh, but Tiber who is giving Constantine a run for his money as King of Hubris, 
won't hear her out. He's drunk with power and will use the weapon as he wishes. And Sabina's like, your funeral, bitch. And somewhere Thrawn is like, I know. <laughs> Tiber starts the weapon, which has now been changed to go after Stormtrooper armor. And Captain Hark is the smartest person in the room, and he gets the fuck out of there like a like a coward, and he lives another day. Smart man. Tiber and his men are all writhing in pain as the Duchess zaps them. The weapon grows in power and starts taking out all the Imperials all over the ship. It even zaps Ezra in the helmet. He throws it off and heads up for Sabine, but it doesn't matter because they fix it before he gets there. Who is getting drunk on- Sabine is getting drunk on revenge. She's all like, how does it feel, bitch, to Tiber. But it's Bo-Katan who stops her. Bo reminds her that this is the Imperial way, but not the Mandalorian way. She reminds Sabine that Mandalore's future is in honor and hope. Sabine sees the right way, pulls out the Darksaber, and slices the Duchess. Woo, which is funny because that's how that's how Satine dies. She gets sliced by the dark saber by Maul. Ah. Uh-huh. Oh, I just realized that. Oh, chills. The power core starts over overloading, and our heroes evacuate the heck out of there. They fly away as the Duchess explodes and takes down Tiber and the Star Destroyer with it. Back at Bo-Katan's house, Bo is all like the Emperor will send more people. Which is why Sabine said that she should take the Darksaber and rule Mandalore. Sabine made the tough choice only because Bo was there to guide her. Sabine says that she's also not alone in her support. The door to the ship opens, and there's Mandos from all different clans waiting outside. They all swear their allegiance to Bo-Katan. Uncle Rao swears the protectors to her. And a reminder, the protectors are the ones that served Bo's sister. Sabine hands her the Darksaber and Bo accepts the Darksaber in honor of her sister Satine. She ignites the Darksaber, raises it above her head. Everyone kneels, and it's a big emotional moment. And also, because this is the last appearance of Uncle Rao in the series, I'm gonna do this one last time. The end. This is actually where the majority of my notes are, but so many of them are, like, tiny notes. Well, I was going to blow your mind with the whole, like, the Darksaber kills the Duchess again, but you uh, found it. I was, like, looking over the notes, and I'm like, does she have it in the notes? No. Yes. I'm Chris sorry. Chris is going to get a good point in here. No, that's fine. You, you, it, like, you, 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 that, that was a fair, that was a fair grab. Um. There's more more um, Raiders of the Lost Ark in this. It, the the machine taking out the stormtroopers reminded me of the Ark of the Covenant taking out the Nazis in Raiders of the Lost Ark. And and Tiber Saxon is extra Nazi in this episode, especially at the end. He's sitting there with his Nazi hair and his patch just looks super Nazi. He just looks super Nazi. And then the next thing you know, he's getting fried by lightning bolts so it was very raiders of lost ark huh. and uh i really liked like um well it's funny because they were like don't kill him but th- he ends up dying at the end right he ends up blowing up with his ship right so they end up killing yeah. him anyway so <laughs> but i love how as the machines blowing up and they're out in the hangar you see like molten metal come 
pouring out, the floor, pouring through the floor. And I that's something we've never noticed. seen in Star Wars I, before, but that happens. And that was really cool. That was a nice I, touch. I almost noted it. Then I had half a moment of like, hmm, I bet Chris will note that. I almost noted yeah. that moment. Yeah, somebody, somebody, when they were when they were doing this episode, somebody goes, "What if the core of that thing melted like a nuclear power plant and just like went through the floor?" And they were like, "That'd be cool!" And splashes all over a Tie Fighter. But that's yeah. all. That's all my notes. I I, I got. Um, I'm just gonna go straight down because almost all my notes are just little notes. Just, just. Um, it's been a long time. I think I've only watched watched it once when it aired. So I completely forgot that Captain Hark tried to stop Tiber because he was all like, dude, this is our people. Like, I'm all for, like, murdering rebels, but this is bad. And so that was that was a nice little surprise. I forgot about that. Um, it would have been kind of cool if Hark joined up with them. Like, I want to fight with you guys now. These, these guys suck. And he joined with them. That would have been cool. But also, Hark might be the smartest Imperial in the world because he's like, uh, Tiber's going to die and I'm not here anymore. So I'm just going to run the fuck out of here. So. Yeah. Good for you, Captain Hark. <laughs> Good for you, man. Um, I wrote that Tiber is much more scary of a villain than his brother Ball Saxon. They must have had a really fun family growing up. <laughs> yeah, imagine, I know. Jesus. Those guys must have been in timeout all the time. Yeah, because at least, like, Gar Saxon, I, I think, like, you know, he, and I am pulling so a lot of this from Clone Wars, too. The reason Gar joined up with Maul is because he believed that Maul could actually bring bring Death Watch and bring Mandalore back to its warrior ways. So he was joining Maul for Mandalorian reasons. And he became the governor of the Empire on Mandalore. Then, And he was doing it because he really wanted to bring Mandalore back to its ways. And of course, he also was thirsty for power and he made a lot of missteps as well. But Tyber just fucking who just wants to kill people like he doesn't just care a, tiber's people. just like the i don't know if he's the younger or older brother but he acts like the, the younger dumb dumber brother you know the wannabe brother you know I meant i'll to show dad i'll show dad i'll kill more people yeah i meant to look up ball the... was so cool he's not so cool totally a hundred percent saying gar saxon is the big brother and was the smart was the like overachiever brother and 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 nut saxon was the was the wannabe the fail son <laughs> oh it doesn't say which one was older yeah. it just says his late brother on on wikipedia so we don't know which ones i but i, I feel like gar is the older one too tyler yeah, feels sure. like a, a little brother yes so. um I of course I, I noted it, but I love the scene when Ezra gets to the hangar door and it opens and it's the Clone Wars scene pretty much. That's just such a good nod. Um, I, I, I like how he reacts. He's just like, oh well. <laughs> <laughs> oh. <laughs> Meanwhile, Obi Wan's like, hello there, must run. <laughs> um, I do like Sabine gave Tiber one last chance to change his mind. That's a really nice character moment for her. Um, but then she's just completely just like full of revenge and she's just like, die, bitch. So nice character moment, bad motive. Um, it's also a really nice detail that I forgot about when the Duchess starts zapping all the stormtroopers. I actually forgot that Ezra's helmet is an old stormtrooper helmet yep. that's been painted. 
And so it makes sense that the Duchess would zap him on the head too. And that, yeah. that was just a really nice attention to detail. Cause I forgot. And I was like, Oh yeah. Um, I really like the scene where Bo-Katan talks Sabine down for doing the right thing. And I think this goes back to like the whole thing of like, they kill Tiber anyway, but there it's a difference of killing it. It, it goes out to the Yoda line of like, it's not that we choose to fight, it's how we choose to fight that make us who who we are, because he says that line to Ezra. And I think that's the whole purpose of, like, even though Tiber dies, he dies in battle, not from being tortured to death by Sabine, which is a completely different connotation. Right. And so I, I liked that scene as well. Um, What makes this episode so heart-wrenching at the end, because it's supposed to be this big emotional moment of, like, bull leading her people and it's gonna be awesome and then we get to the mandalorian and in the mandalorian we know that moff gideon has the dark saber so something yeah. terrible has happened to bo katan yeah moff gideon is wielding that dark saber to mock the people that he he destroyed as yeah so like yeah he did that he did not get that through uh through nice means I no. thought I had the same thought. I was just like, oh, geez, you know, yeah. him him wielding that that dark saber is just him just like, screw you, Mandalorians, you know. So, yeah, yeah. Um, the, the Empire is not going to be good. Well, we know the Empire was not good to the Mandalorians. No, we know we just that. Don't know exactly how. <laughs> yeah, my my theory is I think Bo-Katan is still alive in the timeline of the Mandalorian. But I that because I. Katie Sackhoff would also be about the right age to play Bo-Katan. Yeah, I think that's she... what. Yeah, I, I, I have a very strong feeling that we could see Bo-Katan in in, in live action sometime Katie. soon. Katie Sackhoff is currently forty, so she's she's right in the age to reprise her own role. So, like, that's my my theory is we're gonna see Bo-Katan again in the. For this time, she's like, look, I tried to rule in the Clone Wars. It didn't work. Tried to rule during the Rebels. It didn't work. I don't want the Darksaber anymore. I, wa I want her to be the woman who was forging the armor. Ooh. It's not Katie Sackhoff. That I think they've actually proven that that's not Bo. I think they talked about that. But I honestly, I, I don't know 100% for sure. I, I feel like I read that somewhere. But that would be really cool if it was. It would make, it would make kind of make sense. Yeah, that would be really, really cool. But it's not the same actress. So, anyway. Um, my last note, and this was more, it's not a critique. It's it's another, this would have been nice note. And it's actually a retrospective note going back to Clone Wars. Um, Bo, in this episode, talks a lot about her sister. And, like, it, it's clear that she obviously loved her sister. And she regrets what happened to Satine dying. And they, yes, they had their differences of how Mandalore should go, but it's clear that Bo loved her sister. So it just would have been really nice back in Clone Wars when Satine was still alive if they had just like a scene together. Because I, I don't think Bo and Satine ever talk in Clone Wars. We know that they're sisters, but I don't think they ever have a conversation. And it just would have been nice if they had like a conversation at some point in Clone Wars. So when we get here in Rebels, you can be, you can, it makes those moments of like Bo regretting losing her sister just kind of hit better. But it, that's just a, another note of this would have been nice kind of note. It's not really a critique. It just would have been nice. Hmm, I agree. Yeah. All right, Chris, it's time for your favorite part of the episode. Bye, 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 bye. Yeah. 
And uh, it's time to make Chris say something nice about Thrawn. And as a reminder, he can't talk about Thrawn's appearance, that Thrawn never cured a character, kill, killed a character that you like, that Thrawn keeps a tidy office with nice decorations, that Thrawn has really good enunciation, he's a clear speaker, Thrawn is cool because he has a nerd pocket protector, Chris is clearly delusional, but I'm proud he came up with a headcanon, so he thinks Thrawn will smoke pot with Ben dude, so hooray for Chris headcanons. You can't use any of those. Yeah, okay. Thrawn is a considerate boss who checks in often with his employees and offers them helpful advice. That's actually quite canon of you, so yes, I agree. Thrawn is a considerate boss who checks in on his employees. And if you want to read, see more of that, read the Thrawn novels, because that is a very true statement. So, Did you have anything else for Heroes of Mandalore? Nope. All right. Score it up. I am ready to score it up, Chris. All right. I am giving it. I was gonna give it an eight, but I I upped it to eight point five because of the all the fun Mandalorian stuff working with all the other stuff. So it's almost a retro stuff, but it you know a a retro point five because a lot of that stuff came after this. But whatever. Either way, that's it's 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 contributing to my enjoyment of the episode. But I I really like this. I thought it was an interesting way to open the season because it's kind of downbeat, even though they win. It's still kind of a downbeat story in in a way. And usually that like they come back from, a, you know, into a season. It's just sort of like, hey, adventure, you know, set up what's coming next. And and uh, but. I, I docked it a little bit because it was kind of the same episode twice in a row with the first episode being a little stronger as far as like the action sequences, but not that the second part was weaker as far as that goes. So 8.5, it was, it was, it was a good, uh, good season opener. It, it's like, it's, it's almost like a, a, a show and a half worth of material though in two shows. Yeah. So it's, it's a little weird. I, for me, like, this This is a good two-parter, and it's a nice opening to season four. Um, Sparks of Rebellion. This is probably my second least favorite season opening of the four. If I, if I had to layer them, I would say season one, season two, season four, season four, then season three. Because I think the uh, mall episode opening season three is the weakest of the season openings. But that's not a bad thing. This is still a really great episode. And it's so much better with all the Clone Wars and Mandalorian stuff. I love the story of the Darksaber finally going back to Bo-Katan. Sabine's story is so good as she's facing her past and owning up to her mistakes. And there's so many parallels to other Star Wars media. You can tell that they built season seven of Clone Wars and Mandalorian on these episodes. Yes. And the battle scenes are great, but really, I just love Sabine's parents. They, I need the fan fiction, you guys. I need so much fan fiction. I need to write fan fiction of them. I love them so much. Kind of wish her brother did more than I think about it, because I think this is Tristan's last appearance, too, and her brother really doesn't do anything for the series, does he? No, he's, yeah, no. Kind of there. That would have been nice. Anyway, I give it an 8 out of 10, so... (laughs) Well, as always, we would love to hear your feedback on iTunes, Twitter, or on the Two True Freaks Facebook page. Except I for will, today. 
except for today we because we're doing a double episode we are running longer and honestly like on feedback we've been catching up with ourselves so it's just nice to have an extra week to kind of pad that out just to give you guys more time to make feedback and stuff so we will be coming back to feedback starting next week oh my god chris we got a new box of candy yep yeah and we'll be coming back to feed bag next week with candy all right do you want to do candy tonight I was planning on doing candy. Oh, well, let's do some candy. I got it in my hand. Can we do the ruby chocolate? Yes, we can. So our friend Dario sends us candy from all over the world to review. And uh, he sent us a box of nothing but Japanese Kit Kats of various different kinds. Um, I will say, Dario... Um, I understand the world's on fire with coronavirus, and this is not a very big box. Please do not worry about sending us candy right now. Um, when if we run out, we run out. We appreciate. We'll figure something out for. We'll figure out something for cornhole viral. Mm, oh my god. Oh gosh. Okay, so yeah. It's got Let's, like little crunchies and chewies on top of it. Oh my goodness. It smells so good. Oh my god. Oh my god. It's got nuts and cranberry. Is it? I think cranberry. Oh my god, that is a cranberry. I've never had a Kit Kat with cranberries on it. No, oh it's got god. like it's got like crumbly cranberry and crunches and nuts on top. It's great. Mmm. Oh man, the cranberry is subtle at first, and then it hits you in the palate. It's so mm-hmm. good. Oh, also, Chris hates American Kit Kats, which is what we're doing this. And Dario's mm-hmm. Chris's co-podcaster for Eat and Beat It. So, anyway, candy. Mmm. Mmm. I think most of these are from Japan, so. They all are. I think they all are, yep. Oh my god. I just slobbered all over that packet just Excellent. to get the last crumbs on the inside. Oh mm. my god. Mm. Dario, I love these so much. Thank you. Mm. They're the first Kit Kats with Chewy in them. Yeah. Oh, and not man. Chewbacca, but Chewy as a texture. So, I don't um, want. I don't want to have chewy, <laughs> Chewbacca flavored. Um, maybe Mala flavored Kit Kats, but not mm, Mala. Mm-hmm. Well, mm-hmm. Chris, mm-hmm. we started season four. It's the beginning of End of Rebels. I know. I know. We're beginning the End of Rebels, and we just officially ended Clone Wars the other day. Yeah. God, Rebels has. Fl- it felt like it took us forever to get through Clone Wars, but Rebels has flown by. Rebels is just, is shorter. There's less seasons and uh, less episodes. Shorter seasons, yeah. So yeah, one was short and season four is short. So I don't. Yeah, like Rebels is absolutely. Plus, every year we get older and time goes faster. So there you go. That's true. Well, As anything we else for, towards death. Anything else for Heroes of Mandalore? Nope, I'm uh, I'm about finished with Heroes of Mandalore. All right, where can people find you, Chris? You can find me at 2TrueFreaks.com. That's our website. And you can uh, sign up for all our shows. Just want to talk about a show. We got a special 2 True Freaks coronavirus event going on, sort of, since everybody, nobody has their sports teams no more to do their fantasy football and baseball leagues and all that. I don't, you know, if I'm saying any of this stuff wrong... It's because I don't know nothing about sports or fantasy leagues, but I'm involved in this. Two True Freaks is running a a a, a comic book draft fantasy league of the Justice League. We've got 
10 different famous or or nerd related people who are um drafting themselves their own justice league and we're putting out a new episode the episodes are really short they're only a few minutes each and so we've already we're just about in three days we'll have the first round of draft picks picked and be going into round two but if you go to two true just uh go to all the way down to the the bottom i think well actually i think it's like the third from the bottom but you'll see the two true freaks comics draft if you want to get in on that it's it goes on daily in a little short short dramatic clip every day we've got some uh sports color commentary on on the drafts and uh i guess the the competition is getting a little heated we we may have to pull some of the competitors apart and separate them so that's uh that's works out well for your amusement and we are um also on facebook you can go to uh, the two true freaks facebook page and uh, see all our shows come out and we also have the two true freaks cantina we are also on twitter the cursed twitter and the man brave enough to brave twitter and and sail those sludgy seas is gene gene the podcasting machine Dean. And that's about it for me. Where can they find you? You can find us at JS and Jedi on Twitter. I run our Twitter account. You can also find me at Hope Molnix. I also have my website called geekygirlexperience.com where I've been reviewing Clone Wars. And part of that has a Patreon exclusive podcast called Hope Makes Chris Watch Cartoons where I make Chris watch cartoons and we're currently yes. going through Gravity Falls. And I also write fan fiction for Archive of Our Own on Archive of Our Own. (laughs) 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 Under the name Chaos Lydia. And since this is Star Wars Day, I actually did a collaboration piece for today. Um, It's called Shin Kyo, and it's a Callus and Zeb piece. And I worked with the wonderful June, who is one of my favorite artists on Twitter. And she reached out to me and she was like, hey, if you want to write a fan fiction, I'll do artwork for it for this Callus Zeb. It's, it's called Kalazeb Appreciation Week. It just happened to fall on May 4th for the day that we did. And I wrote it, and the whole base premise is Kalas and Zeb are stationed on the Hoth together. And uh, Kal- and Zeb's like, what is our relationship? What is going on? And Kalas because is it's like, getting cold. <laughs> but Kalas is like, I don't want to be close with you because I have PTSD about the genocide where I killed all your people. And they have to talk about it. And June did some beautiful artwork for that. So it's over on Archive of Our Own under the name Chaos Lydia, and the story is called Shin Kyo. And the reason it's called that, because June lives in Japan, and she said that Shin Kyo is Japanese for peace of mind, which is what the story is is about, Chaos finding peace of mind. So, yeah, that's it. All right, guys, just a reminder, we know that the the next two episodes are two-parter of Saul Guerrero episodes. We are doing them separately. We're sawing them in half. Haha, ha, I didn't have to wait till next week. Yeah, so I'll try to um, get the, I'll try to land that joke next week too though. <laughs> over but, and over. And and we'll bring this up next week too, but the reason we're splitting up the two parter is just the season of Rebels is so short. And if we put all the two parters together, we're just gonna fly through the season and we'll we be don't done in it. like two months. Literally, like two months. Yeah, Something so like we've got to yeah. We'd rather split everything up, uh, which is going to be interesting. I've never watched the episodes Jedi Knight and Doom separately. I've never watched them separately before. So it's going to be fun to see them all, like, standalone. But 
yeah, we, we made that executive decision because we want Rebels to last a little bit longer. Yeah. So. All right, you guys. Well, I guess we'll see you next week, and happy belayed uh, May of the 4th, guys. I was about to say happy belayed Friends of the Force, but that's a podcast by our friend Brad. <laughs> Hi, Brad. So, all right, bye, guys. All right, see you next week. Visit our website at twotruefreaks.com. Two True Freaks is always spelled T-W-O-T-R-U-E-F-R-E-A-K-S. You can email Two True Freaks directly at twotruefreaks at gmail.com. Two True Freaks and all of its excellent affiliates are available on iTunes, and you can choose to subscribe to either the entire network if you wish, or pick whichever individual shows you want to follow. We have so many shows to choose from, there's just bound to be one that appeals to your particular fandom. Just search Two True Freaks with an exclamation mark at the end, space, and the number two. You can find Two True Freaks on Facebook. Just search for Two True Freaks. Dumbass. If you ever leave your house and you actually have friends, why don't you tell them about Two True Freaks? If you've enjoyed our show, please, won't you take a moment to rate us on iTunes? That helps others find the show, too. Thanks for listening. And join us every Monday for new episodes of Two Two True Freaks. Freaks.